I'm Rachel Hollis, and I've built a multi-million dollar media company with a high school diploma and the free information I found on the internet. In the 15 years that I've been building and scaling my company, I have become deeply passionate about helping other entrepreneurs to do the same. So each week, I'll be sharing tangible and tactical advice and inspiring interviews with the same intention. These are the tools to change your life and your business. This is the Rise Podcast. Today is April 17th. And tell me how you are doing on April 17th. Let's see. Okay, I guess this is a place to tell the truth, correct? Yes. Yes, okay. please. You know, because I, I can always conjure up two versions if I need to, but I'll go ahead and dial. <laughs> no, be real, be real. Okay, I'll go ahead and dial in the roster. Um, Okay, let's see. I'm four days away from a book release that means a lot to me, and it's kind of the book that I've, well, I don't know how to say this, but I've earned it. Like, I earned its lessons um, the hard way by living them and um, doing some of it well and doing some of it poorly, but nonetheless emerging on the other side wiser and braver and stronger. And so it goes into the world on April 21st, and I am feeling feelings about that. (laughs) I am feeling feelings. And the feelings are excited. The feelings are anxious. The feelings are prematurely disappointed because that's the way I'm wired. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Uh, the feelings are super vulnerable. I put it all in there. I mean, it's all in there. So last night, for example, at three in the morning, I was lying in bed. My brain was reminding me of s- several things that I said in that book that I've never said. Right. And I was like, well, that is already printed. So that is a thing <laughs> that people are going to read next week. <laughs> Oh, I just have having very human feelings about putting a very true, very vulnerable book into the world, into a world that's hurting right now. And everybody else is scared and everybody else feels tender. And I'm just, I feel like I'm holding all the emotions in the world right now. Yeah. And as you're describing it, I'm thinking of listeners who maybe haven't written a book, but maybe are pregnant right now. You know, and there it's it's sort of this idea of this thing that you've been creating, right, and working on, and you had a certain expectation for how that would come out into the world that now looks very different than it mm. did before. That's and right. there's a, and not just with you know obviously pregnancy, but if people had projects they were working mm-hmm. on in their business that they right. were really excited about launching, or or you know college students who were so excited to graduate, right. high school students who lost their prom, like there's there's a certain amount of grief yeah. that is it's very interesting because it's grief associated with what was supposed to be a celebratory thing. That's exactly and right. How do you? carry both of those at the same time. I, um, we were having this discussion online with my community and one of my readers said, and I thought this was the perfect word. Um, she said, you know, the thing is, is that so many of us feel cheated right now. And I'm like, that's the right word. We feel cheated. You know, I've got, um, of course, same as you, all my kids are at home and in this house that we live in 24 seven, I have two seniors. I have a senior in college and I have a senior in high school. And so Mm -hmm. there's not a person that 
that I love near me that isn't feeling cheated in some way. And I really appreciate the wisdom that a lot of our leaders are giving us right now, which is to work as hard as we can to not um, sign up for, as my friend Kristen Howerton calls them, the hardship Olympics, um, that (laughs) we are not, that's not a good game. And we, yeah. we ought not to be competitors into who has it worse. And I see this with a lot of people right now who are like saying something out loud where they feel cheated, a laundry list of things like you just mentioned. And then mm-hmm. they feel like this urge to tack onto the end. But I know this is like not the worst thing. You know, we feel like we've got to put ourselves um, in the right hierarchy for the hardship Olympics. And I just think that there's room right now in our communities and our families, um, with our friends and, and churches and companies and colleagues to just be incredibly generous to each other right now. Um, that when someone says their greatest sadness is that their eighth grade play is canceled. The best thing to say is that is terrible. And yeah, I'm so you sorry. should feel sad. And I am yeah. so sorry. And that is so disappointing. And I just, I'm a, I'm a, my instinct sometimes is to curb the thing. I, I like, I like the uptick. Um, I like to, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glass half full and I'm a, sh- a sunny, shiny type. Um, but I don't think that serves us well right now. I think there is a place just to hold room for somebody else's fear or sadness or grief or loss. And somehow in that moment, it finds a way to move through us a little easier. Um, I think when we don't feel like we have to suffocate it, we can actually have permission to feel it. Um, It doesn't hang on quite as long. Yeah, we did um, for the first time since we were in week five of quarantine and working virtually at our company. And uh, this week I instituted something I called circle time which was basically group therapy. Yeah. Uh, I just could see in, you know, on the zoom calls, I could see in people's faces that, uh, for, for, you know, certain people are struggling and I just said, Hey guys, I know this is kind of odd. It's not normally something we would do in the workplace, but I'd like to invite you to just come for an hour and be on a zoom call and I'll lead out and we'll just literally talk about the hard thing and Mm -hmm. whatever it is in your life, you have permission to complain about it. And there is not a competition. And if your partner's driving you crazy or the kids or whatever, like this is the opportunity. And so we had about 10 people come and, you know, we cried and we laughed and it was awesome. And I highly recommend it for your workplace or your friend group or whatever you need. But what I thought was really interesting was one of the young women on our staff who is, she's single and she's quarantine, quarantining alone. And so she is really struggling yeah. with loneliness. Her community was about getting together with her friends or going to church on Sunday. And those things yeah. have been removed. And certainly you can have that virtually, but it's just not the same. That's right. And her sadness was in things like, she's like, I just want to hug somebody. Hmm. Like I love, <laughs> physically want to hug somebody. And totally. as she was talking about this, which is heartbreaking, she said, you know, I know it's not the same, you know, cause there were a lot of moms there who were talking about how hard it was to have toddlers. And she's like, I know it's not the same. And I know that you parents, like you give it so much worse. And I was like, girl, this mm. is not, we are not competing here. That's right. Your hard thing is hard to you and it has value because it's yours. That's good. And so I think that it's so wise for you to counsel people on this reminder, whatever your thing is, you're allowed to feel disappointed mm. Because I think shoving the feelings away won't serve you. That's right. I think that if you can just acknowledge that they're there, 
then exactly like you said, you can start to move forward with the acknowledgement, not by pretending it didn't happen. Yeah, that's 100% right. And that sometimes means having hard conversations. Brent and I had a hard conversation this very morning um, just about managing our own feelings right now, plus the kids' feelings, plus um, sort of work expectations and, you know, where's the give there. And so, uh, you know, the only way we could get to the other side of that conversation was by telling the truth. So while there is, I get the impulse to just spit shine the whole thing, right? But there's actually way more power in saying out loud, this feels really um, sad or confusing or hard to me right now. And, and then we kind of, st- we kind of get our power back from it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's what we're kind of discovering in our house. So we're trying to give our kids a lot of room um, to just say, well, this is just terrible. You know, I mean, we've got, we've got all teenagers and young adults. They are not meant to be cooped up with their parents, right? Like physiologically, like socially and emotionally, they are meant to be spreading their wings and flying right now. That is what they're supposed to be doing. And they derive so much like energy and meaning from their peers. And so, and then, you know, add on top of that, the, the real sincere disappointment of two seniors who are not getting to finish like they wanted to, it's real. It's so real. And so, um, but you're, I, I was thinking about your, um, colleague who, um, this is just a teeny little tip, your colleague who is quarantined alone. And I think so much about how many people are quarantined alone right now. Um, and you know, we, we're the opposite problem. There's way too many of us in this house. <laughs> so um, many people. So many so people. Many like, people. Oh, there's yeah. another one right there walking down yep. the stairs. Yep. They're like gremlins. And um, <laughs> but I was on a I was interviewing um Dr. Hillary McBride for the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and she's just an incredible leader, like just an incredible therapist. Uh, but she was talking about ways that we can even like self-soothe, and she said that if you are alone in quarantine, that even if you kind of take your hands and you wrap them around your own self, you pat your arms a little bit and you give your shoulder a little rub. And she says that, that sends a very similar signal to your mind that you are being held and cherished and comforted. And so I, that's now what I'm telling every, all my friends who are quarantining alone. I'm like, just give yourself a hard hug. Just pat yourself on the shoulder. To imagine that like, this is the advice that we're giving people right now. Do you know what I mean? Like what are we doing? At least once a day, I do something that I'm like, what is the world that we're living in? And it's sort of, it's just like, I'm going to have to laugh because if I don't laugh, I'm going to cry. So I'm just going to laugh about where we are. And if you are listening to this right now and you are alone, yes, please hug yourself and imagine that Jen and I are giving you a group hug because, jeez. And you know what, to your point, laughter has its place right now. Um, Yes. I was talking with one of my sons yesterday um, and he was like, mom, what would this be like if we didn't have this possibility of connection through the internet because the internet, while 
sometimes being a potential dumpster fire, of course, right now is also delivering a lot of humor to us. There's, you know, people find a way to hang on to their, to their humor, even in the midst of tragedy. And so, you know, he was like, that's making us laugh, even if just for a minute. And it's, it's making us feel connected and, you know, people sending the memes and the, this funny stories. And the, he's like, you know, that, what would this be like if we did not have that way to connect to the outside world. I'm like, that I can't even imagine. I Yeah, I don't even want to know. I don't even I want to know. figure out. But I also want people to know that it's okay to laugh too. Like that's a very valid response and has its own sort of internal healing powers also, mm-hmm. which is Absolutely. maintaining our optimism and our humor. We're trying to do that too. Yeah. And I think that being mindful of the media that you consume and kind of aiming your media at things that are going to make you chuckle, that are going to make you smile. Because the reality is most of us are faced every day with some sort of, we're seeing something, we're learning about something that feels very hard, that can cause anxiety. And so just making sure that you're balancing it out or even swinging the pendulum way in the other direction of seeking out things that will bring you joy. Because I feel like the I hate to say it, but I feel like the hard stuff is finding its way to me, whether I want it or not. You know, when I call and check in on my parents or my grandparents or, you know, my partner is obsessed with the news and that's a problem we'll work through later. Um, But so I have to make sure that I'm balancing myself out so that I am not sort of being bogged down in the anxiety of others. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And we have a lot of resources at our fingertips to do exactly that. Um, This is just such a great time to begin losing yourself in really good books or really great music or fantastic art that you can experience online or, you know, games, all those, all those really old fashioned things, right? The stuff that our parents always reached for, because that's all that there was and our grandparents. Um, those have a lot of power in our lives right now. And um, so while some of this online content can serve to connect us and alleviate a little bit of the the pressure and give us something to laugh at, also some of these really like lowbrow, low-tech options, I am finding to be the lightest moments of my day for sure. And I hate board games, like H-A-T-E. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm so upset that I have been driven to board games, but here we yeah. are. That's um, where we are. Yes. We, we are. got the when this very first started, we had this really anxious week where I'm gonna be honest, I drank too much vodka. I was very anxious about what this meant for my business and my sure, family, and I was scared and like I had a lot of vodka. And I in a way to sort of try and prompt myself because I'm a three on the Enneagram as well and taking action sort of helps me to feel more in control. And so I was like, what will I wish that I had done three weeks from now? Like, what will I wish, what decision will I wish I had made three weeks from now? And I only thought of two things. The first was that I would right this second, get a hold of drinking. Mm. because that is an old negative coping mechanism for me that I could find myself slipping back into. So I was like, look, good reminder. You need to get it together. And then the second thing, the only other thing I could think of was I will have wished that we got a ping pong table. (laughs) 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 Because it was one of those things I had wanted forever. I read a very dull book about how the brain works Mm. and how good ping pong is for the brain. 
uh, it's oh a random goodness. fact. I know. And so I'd wanted one forever. And I was like, if ever there was a time to get a ping pong table, it's in quarantine. Uh, so we ordered one and it took, you know, it was Amazon prime, but it took four and a half weeks. Right. Yeah, Cause yeah. it's not essential in any way. <laughs> nope. But it finally arrived and we have been playing ping pong nonstop. Cause what the heck else are we going to do with our time? I mean, a hundred percent, like we are, <laughs> we look at around our family a bunch and we're kind of like, no matter what the kids ask us, um, can I build a side table? Um, can I climb to the top of that truck? We're like, yeah. Will it take yeah. 30 minutes? And yes. Yeah. Like, will it fill some Perfect time plan. in the day? A hundred percent. Yes. And so yeah, we've discovered that our, um, our yes meter has drastically increased. We're like, sure, yes. sure. Yeah, like, our rule has been, we can't go to a hospital right now. So anything in do anything, but don't get hurt. Great. Good plan. That feels fine. Us too. Uh, well, and the kids know. They're like, hey, I want to do this. I yeah. want to do this thing, but I, I won't, it won't be bad enough for stitches. Or like, great. <laughs> go ahead. Sounds good. Um, so tell me, tell me too, because we're, we're friends and we're chatting about all the things, but I do really want you to be able to talk about the book because this is a labor of love. You have worked on it so long. This is the story you have needed to tell as anyone who is sort of in your community, but also is lucky enough to be your real life friend. I think this is the story we've all been waiting for you to have the opportunity to tell. So will you, will you talk about the work? Yeah. Thank you. I, I always say that or the way that it feels to me is like, this is the book I really, really needed about five years ago. Um, kind of when I was on the, by the way, I would like you to enjoy the sound of baby birds. They live in my office ceiling. So they've just hatched. And I just want you to know that that's going to be a real part of this conversation. Um, (laughs) It feels perfect. Doesn't it? It really does. Like, I heard some scratching up there about two weeks ago, like a lot of weird sounds in my office ceiling. It's in my backyard. And then the baby birds hatched two days ago. And I'm like, oh, I think there's, I, my guess is there's 112 of them. That's how it sounds. <laughs> anyway, um, this is kind of the a book that I, I said this earlier, but I earned it. I, I feel like I um, was moving through my adult life in a, in the several categories, um, absolutely disintegrated. You know what I mean by that? Like I I noticed that uh, so much that I was carrying internally, I was too afraid to give any permission to live externally. I was too afraid to say that out loud. I was too afraid to ask that question. Um, I was too afraid to break ranks. Um, I had built my all my work, my career, my, my mission, my service in a certain zip code that I found I could no longer live comfortably in. Um, there was too many breaches. And so I just felt trapped I mean, it felt absolutely trapped. Like, Oh my gosh, I'll never be free. And I remember just thinking, you know, if I, if I told the truth, Like if I lived in a way that was genuine, if I said, uh, I don't agree with that. If I said, these are some real questions I'm having. If I said, um, this is actually how I really am. Um, I knew for sure the cost that would be on the back end of that because I'd seen it happen. I mean, I, I have eyes. Like I knew how the, the particular community that I was largely embedded in, um, you know, they primarily use belonging is the currency. So it is both the reward when you follow the rules, right? 
but it's also the punishment when you step out of line. Yeah. Uh, and will yeah. you explain, just in case there are listeners who don't know what you're talking about, will you explain in a, and we, and I'm missing yeah. it to Chelsea, the editor in, in whatever way feels comfortable for you sure. um, to, to give context to sort of coming out of this background sure. that may feel, yeah, just in case yeah. there are people who know your story. Okay. So the, sort of the greater context for my adult um, process and progress um, is that I came up uh, really my whole life through really traditional, like really conservative channels, very conventional faith spaces um, where gender roles were pretty concrete, meaning, you, you know, the, the women were to supply the um, the grease for the machine, but never the gas, right? Um, and... Ooh, that's a good line. That you know is what I mean? a good line. Yeah. I mean, a lot of grease exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, the thing would grind to a halt without the labor of women, but they had no place in authority, in leadership. Um, and then there were really rigid rules around, um, behaviors. You know, it was very like, uh, centered around a certain set of morals, which were self-defined and, um, and, and hierarchies and, and I was good at that, man. Like I, you know, you mentioned this a minute ago, you and I are both Enneagram threes. And so if you drop an Enneagram three girl into a really patriarchal, um, traditional slash slash oppressive space, well, my version of achievement in that was to follow the rules the best, right? Absolutely. Like that was what I thought accomplishment looked like was, well, I'll just be the very, very best good girl that ever was <laughs> like the goodest <laughs> of all the good girls. And I was, I mean, I was, look, I don't mean to brag, but I was voted as a senior in high school, most inspirational. Do you hear what I'm saying? <laughs> like I did it. I did the yep. thing. Yeah, and it never occurred to me that I was created with a lot of like spiritual authority in my bone marrow. Um, that that was my gift, that's my offering to the world. And so when that started rubbing up against <laughs> the the container I was in, I'm like, oh no well, what is this going to mean? Because by the way, I'd already very much built an incredibly successful career there. Um, I, I was just groomed for it. I mean, I was just a darling of evangelical women's subculture, um, mm -hmm. hit every mark. Cause I know how to, that's my, that's my native tongue. That's my first language. Yep. And so when I started realizing that even just, not just my beliefs, which were being incredibly challenged, um, my interpretation, some of the doctrines, the stuff that I was just handed as a kid that I never questioned. When I became an adult and started, started going, hmm, I don't think that's true. And I don't think I, that is full of life. I think that's full of death. And, um, but not only just those sort of external ideas, but internal, like, oh, I'm not built for this. Like I am built for a different space. I, I will not even be able to step into my own life in this container. Not, I will have to forfeit agency over my own work, over my own words, over my own ideas, over my own gifts. And I'm like, oh no, oh no, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to end well. 
Like it's just not, I've seen people step out of lines. I know it happens. They're punished and it's severe and they lose their place in the community. And at the time I was like, well, hell, I don't even know where I'd go. I didn't know. I didn't know enough then. Uh, my my yeah. my worldview was still too small. I had not experienced anything else, and so I'm like, well, what else is there? And who would have me? And where will I land? And what would it look like? Would I ever rebuild? But I got and I want to I want to explain something just for listeners who who didn't grow up or sort of grow into a career in um, a very particular faith space because I've talked about this before and there are people who are like, I don't understand what you're saying. Right. Like I don't like there are people listening right now who are like, what do you mean if you uh-huh. told people who you really were? What do you mean if you that you would be judged at the very least and fully removed at uh-huh. the most? It's because you don't understand how much I'm trying to think of the way to, to explain it, that like there is a, there are guardrails on what, yeah, yeah. what is accepted and not. Yeah. And if you even slightly veer, you will be publicly decimated in comments and the things people are saying. And I, I just want to, I know it sounds, um, it, it sounds crazy if you're not inside yeah. of it. But if you are inside yeah. of it in any capacity, you know, it, especially for women especially for women. That's exactly right. And one thing I mentioned in Fierce is this is not a book only for women who are spiritually deconstructing. That w- that's mm-hmm. just really a sliver of the story. Like if that feels confusing and like, wow, I thought that was kind of supposed to be the opposite of like a faith community. Well, I think <laughs> most women it don't have to reach very far for a similar experience. Like there are gender roles in virtually every subculture we have found ourselves in, right? Like women know no matter how they've come up, what their experience is, what sort of um, place and space they are embedded in, they know the rules of their own subculture, right? They know yes. what is expected of them. I have, Women are very, very gifted at reading a room and giving it what it wants, right? And so we know how to do that. And before you and I were like out of kindergarten, we understood what was expected of us, which is come in the room, read the temperature. It is your job to keep everybody comfortable in this room. If somebody's getting a little too warm, it is your job to adjust it cooler. If someone's getting a little too cold, it is your job. And so we came into systems and places where we were expected to maintain a temperature that we didn't even get to set. Right. (laughs) And so this isn't, this isn't just inside of a, a faith community. This is inside of all kinds of places where women are expected to either be more or be less, which of course we understand, um, in order to maintain the status quo. But the thing is, the status quo is never neutral. The status quo has always benefited the same teeny little sliver of people that get to stay in power and get to stay at the top. So you better believe that if a woman decides to step fully into her own life, if she decides to reclaim agency over her gifts, her ideas, her desires, her beliefs, her relationships, her boundaries, people aren't going to like it. Like yep. it will disrupt the status quo and people who are being, who are benefiting from that system are going to move heaven and earth to maintain their power. And so yep. The thing about this work is that, and I hope that I've been really honest about this, both in my personal experience and what I 
I sort of wrote for my reader is that there is a cost. Um, there is a cost to becoming an integrated person. Um, so I, I, I didn't soft sell that. Um, I hope that I put tools in the hands of every reader to move through it because here's what's crazy. Like, this is what I just cannot even believe, Rachel. Like, I think about myself um, five years ago, kind of in the headspace that I just described, where I just thought, I'm too afraid. I'm too afraid to do this. I'm too afraid to tell the truth. Um, I'm too afraid um, to own my own space because of the cost. But the thing is, is I got to the point where I was like, I mean, I remember this exact very short window when I realized for sure I was either going to get to hang on to my career as I knew it, or I was going to get my integrity, but I did not get both. Those were incompatible. Wow. And I just chose my integrity and I decided I was going to let the chips fall where they may. And the best news that I can possibly give any woman who feels like, you know what? I'm not telling the truth. I'm not telling the truth about like what's actually going on in my marriage. I'm not telling the truth about what I really want. I'm not telling the truth about um, my relationships. I'm not telling the truth about some things that I need, um, who I even am, is that there is work to be done. There is a cost to be paid, but... On the other side of that, I like cannot believe how free I feel. I mean, I just I can't believe how free I am. I I I have said it all. I it is all the truth at this point. There is no one gin in this room and a different gin in that room anymore. There is mm-hmm. no like this group is getting this version of me, but that group is getting the real version. That is that does not exist anymore. And I it's so crazy because it it eradicated any the fear for me. Like I was so afraid. Um, but now moving through the very work that fear was keeping me away from sort of evaporated the fear. So it's kind of like pushing into labor. Like you there's just yeah. no way through it but through it. I'm curious for people who are listening and something that you're saying is resonating with them. It's speaking into a truth in their life of like, oh my gosh, it, even if it's a different circumstance, they're like, they're, you're piercing their heart. And I'm curious, I'm sure it's different for every person, but do you feel like when you made the choice to step more fully into who you are and to live more authentically, was it a series of little truths kind of being revealed or was it like, a bandaid being ripped off. Yeah, I'm thinking of, question. you know, Sammy and beans. And like, there's yeah. a lot of similarities into not the same story at all, but yeah. them kind of having to reveal this big truth about themselves. Yep. And for them, there was a lot of little truths leading up to like yeah. the kind of big daddy. Totally. Sammy and beans and I, you know, we have found such like camaraderie and solidarity around this sort of work. And then this sort of freedom that it, that it brings. Um, I, I would say the answer is both. So very, very similar, like any savvy observer paying attention to Jen Hatmaker, let's just say five years ago, would have been like, oh dear, the edges are starting to fray. <laughs> like, you know, like as much as I was trying to keep a lid on the thing, my real feelings kept leaking out. Um, and I would um, say something or stand with a community or yes. um, criticize 
um, a structure or um, suggest that something wasn't necessarily true on its face. And then all the little tremors would like go out like, oh, Lord, you know, everybody would like clutch their pearls. And so I would hurry up. I was really good in that little season, like, oops, whoop, infraction. Yep. And Over here, so, say something funny. Yeah, that's what I did. And I did it well. So I knew when my real self leaked out accidentally and everybody freaked out that I was going to have to spend two or three weeks being utterly charming, that I was going to have to only say unimpeachable things that nobody could disagree with or argue with, um, that I was going to have to be darling, um, funny, tender. And so I did that back and forth for a while. And as you might imagine, it's not super sustainable. <laughs> that was about it when I was like bitter. It makes bitter. you so bitter. Cause you and feel like, bitter. I mean, I I'm in, in, in my own experience, it's like, you feel like a, a Dave and I always call it the dancing monkey yeah. where it's like, Oh, let's go perform for the people because they're upset. And so let's go make them happy again in a way that is fully not who I really am. Because I'm when I revealed a sliver of who I really am, it upset them. Oh my God, nothing could be more true. Um, So I started getting really, really angry. I remember sitting in my living room with my publishing team about five years ago and trying to put this to words. And I was just essentially saying, I just want to be free and I don't know how to do it. Like, I don't know how to um, sort of, this is a bad word. I can't find a better word. This is going to sound really mean, but I can't figure out how to purge my community of all this toxic um, yeah. performance and rebuild one that feels true and genuine and safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what to do. Um, but then I figured out what to do and what that thing is, because there was, there was a thousand little like pokes in the fabric, of course, for me that everybody's like, uh Oh, she is on her way out. Um, but then I discovered that if you just simply say very clearly in a very public interview that you <laughs> 100% support and affirm your LGBTQ, like neighbors and brothers and sisters with like no equivocation. Well, that'll do it. That'll that'll take care of that. That'll just do it. One fell swoop. That's the band aid. (laughs) Um, And so that was that was obviously the straw that broke the camel's back. And um, it's funny now because I can look back on it because what followed was a lot of pain, a lot of pain, and just loss upon loss. I can't at this point. I can't even measure it. Um, I've never in my life have seen what you walk through. Mm. Never. And I, I, I say that because again, I, I feel like I've been in circles before where that comes up and people who are not inside the church can't fathom right. what we're talking about. And mm. I don't know, you know, I got, I got the book, I think yesterday and I haven't read it yet cause I'm writing and we never read each other's books when we're writing something uh-huh. for fear of ripping each other off. Okay. Um, but do you, do you talk about what happened and the reaction of what happened? Is that a piece of the book? It's directly on the nose. And okay. so that's why I tell you, like, this is the book I earned and yeah. And really put everything as true and sincerely as I possibly could inside this book. And I talked about that and what that looked like um, on the back end. But now, a few years later, I only, and this is sincere, I, I mean this as truly as I can possibly mean it. I have nothing but gratitude for that season. And if I could change anything at all, the only thing I would change is to go back and do it sooner. 
That's it. If I could go back to the me who was had so much internal tension, so much community tension, so much um, disintegration, and grab myself by the shoulders and be like, the only thing you are delaying right now is your own freedom. And then what I discovered, of course, too, is, you know, you said earlier, when you live like that, just to please an audience, when you are a dancing monkey to keep your, um, your place at the table, um, which is just self-protection, not only was I feeling resentful, but I was like, you know what I am? A coward. I am a coward. I have no business calling myself a leader when I know this community deserves me, deserves my allyship, deserves me to stand with them, for them, next to them, in front of them, beside them. Um, this community um, needs somebody like me located in the zip code I am to speak for, speak up for them, um, mm-hmm. to be a good friend and a sister to them. And the only reason I wasn't, wasn't because of personal conviction. It wasn't because of belief. It wasn't because of doctrine. It was just fear. And my fear of what I was going to lose. And so um, that that piece, I remember, you know, you know, my friend Rachel Held Evans, who we lost just about a year yes, ago. Yes, yes. Um, I remember she was a real good leader for me in this and a real mentor. And um, it's just a, a very good and dear friend to me through the process. And uh, when the whole thing first broke, and just every single element of our lives just splintered. I remember that she called me and she said, I want you to know something. It doesn't feel like it right now, but you'll know this soon enough that doing the right thing is its own reward. And it was, she was right. Like there is a comfort in just saying, you know what? Maybe this whole thing does crumble to the ground. And honestly, maybe it never gets rebuilt, which I didn't know if it would Mm -hmm. back then or not. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe this is the end. Maybe this is the end of my career and it's a complete pivot out. Even then doing the right thing is its own reward. And so again, that was a piece of like freedom that was handed to me on the other side of that work. And I mean, I just, I literally would not trade it for a million, million, million dollars. I, it's, it's the greatest gift, um, to me to be liberated and to no longer operate out of fear and obligation and rules that somebody else made. Yeah. I love, um, I don't, I don't know if you were there that day, but, um, beans got to, she gave a keynote in Toronto. Um, and, uh, for, for those of you who've never been to a rise conference with us before beans is my best friend. She's been the MC for as long as we've had conferences, but she is an incredibly gifted teacher and communicator and speaker. And so I was like, Hey, let's do a keynote, man. Let's let, let's show these people what you've got. And she gave the most beautiful keynote. Um, And she, just to give you some context, guys, she um, was a pastor in our church and um, is gay and realized that she was gay while she was the pastor of a mega church and had to walk through this incredibly difficult journey. One of the things she says that I love, and I've never heard someone say this before, is she said, you know, for any of you who are afraid of speaking your truth, afraid of making this choice, afraid of people knowing who you really are, she's like, everything that you're worried about right now will probably happen. So true. (laughs) She's like, people will tell you, like, don't worry. (laughs) No, I did lose my job. I did lose friends. I did hurt family members. I all... 
and it was still worth it. Wow. It was still worth it happened and it was still worth it because I get to live the life that I have today, yeah. even though it took all of those things crumbling in order for me to build a new foundation. Oh, it's so good. And it's so right? true. And what I want women to know, because this is such a, you know, a specific um, space of truth and growth, but for everybody else listening who has other buried things, whether it be they secrets or loss or whatever's just true, some sort of desire or dream or hope or need um, that... That is everything that you're saying is right. There is a cost built into ownership. However, like you won't die. <laughs> you won't die. And the people that you're worried about, no matter how white hot their anger or fear or confusion is around that, um, they won't die either. And so like this is all incredibly possible. I we can we can manage hard things. We really, really can. And mm -hmm. I think the freedom on the other side of that, the, the capacity that to then get to live your own good life is so monumentally wonderful. It's so healthy and real and true, um, that it's, it's, it's worth whatever you have to pay to get there. And you will have mm -hmm. to, like most people in your life, with, with exceptions, of course, I'm painting with a wide brush, but not everybody feels great about you telling the truth um, yes. because it's probably going to create a little turbulence for them because you have helped tend a little world that they live inside. And yes. you are going to upset the equilibrium, which means this is going to mean something for them. It's going to mean change. It's going to mean boundaries. Um, it's going to look like sort of the rules that you establish together no longer have um, precedence. And most people don't respond great to that. Um, however, inside relationships that are largely built on health, that are largely bent on respect and mutual trust and like sincere love for one another most of those relationships can manage. It doesn't mean that they will not wobble and they will not go through like a period of reconfiguration. Um, but I was really surprised how much I emerged with. Um, I, it'll, it'll show you what you got. That's for sure. It'll show you mm -hmm. what's real and what's not real. But I emerged with way more real than I expected. I expected to go to zero and I did not. And, um, and that's a wonderful surprise to discover, um, that growth and health is really good for everyone. Um, and it will serve your best relationships, not harm them. It will serve them. And so I think we just have to trust truth. We have to trust truth to do the beautiful, wonderful work that it does inside our lives and relationships. Can I ask after you know, sort of walking through this journey, what it looked like to create, I'm assuming new boundaries in old relationships based on who you were living at, like not who you were living as, but based on kind of this change. Because if you have people in your life who aren't supportive of kind of the new version of you, but still are going to be a part of your life, what does it look like to build new boundaries around that relationship. It's interesting because in large part, they were just gone. It was just a very swift and a final 
parting of ways, um, which again, while hard was still good. Like there is still a great goodness into that. And I'm a much healthier person and a more true leader now, um, now that that portion of my community is no longer with me. And thus I do not feel any compulsion, um, to keep that on the rails. But there are some, for sure, like really beautiful relationships of mine um, that still were divergent in some some very clear ways. But what I what I knew going into this, when I and I knew what to expect, and I was right. Um, I told myself on the front end, this was real and true and good, and that had to matter for me more than anything else. And so, I I told myself when this. When everything falls out or falls away or falls down, um, I will not, like in any way, walk this back or apologize or shrink it down to size or make it seem more palatable um, or diminish or excuse or explain or defend it. I won't do it. Like that will not be a part of my world from here on out. I'm, I won't do that. I'm going to stand in the storm until it passes, um, exactly where I'm at. And so to some degree, that's my boundary that I, I don't, I don't hold a ton of space anymore for, um, certain types of criticism or certain types of judgment. Like girl, nobody can block and delete like your girl, Jen, like nobody. (laughs) I remember when somebody told me a couple of years ago that I could do that because it felt bad. It felt mean. Like (laughs) I was letting somebody come into my house and scream terrible names at me. And I'm like, but you know what? I'm not going to delete them. Anyway, when I discovered block and delete, I was like life changer. Um, And so what I do hold a lot of room for is lovely dialogue. I hold a lot of room for questions. I hold a lot of room for people to say, you know, and for me to say to them, tell me more, you know, tell me more about that. Tell me what you are hearing. Tell me what you're learning. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what your questions are. Where's your spiritual curiosity? Um, uh, Explain to me how this made you feel. Tell me what your fear is like. There is some real beautiful ground to be gained there. You know, we don't, I don't think I have a person in my life who is a carbon copy of myself in every way, right? Who believes exactly every single thing I do, who carries themselves through their life in the same way that I do. And so, you know, we're going to have to learn to make a lot of room at the table um, where respect and value and dignity is never, ever compromised. Those are not negotiables for me. But conversation and 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 dialogue still may have its place. And that's something that I've always admired about you. I remember when I first met you years ago, asking you how to have, like, how does one build up a thick enough skin to be able to stay in dialogue with people who have a different opinion than you do? For me, as a lifelong people pleaser, and it took me forever to get outside of that space, I didn't even... Mm-hmm. understand a world where I was allowed to disagree with anyone right. on any topic. And so I would just avoid conversation altogether. And one of the things that I think you model so beautifully as a leader is that we don't all have to be in agreement about every single thing that you can do life with people who think differently than you do. And you come out better, both parties come out better for the willingness to stay in conversation. I agree. I, I, 
have ex- in my life, I've just experienced enormous possibility when I am speaking with somebody else in good faith, where I know, you know what, I I either love you or I like you. And I think you feel the same, right? And I respect you and I think you feel the same. And sort of inside that safe structure, well, there's all kinds of room for understanding and for empathy and for compassion, um, for growth. Uh, that, that possibility remains um, wide, wide open. And people have challenged me in really important ways before that have mattered to me. And I've, I've heard them say things to me and I went, you know what, you're right on that. And I'm really going to sit deeply with that. And, um, or at the bare minimum, I hear what you're saying. Like, I thank you for explaining how that felt to you, how this feels to you. Um, you know, what this is making your, where it's taking your thoughts and what your worries or concerns are. Like, um, I, I just find a lot of dignity inside of those conversations. And we're really, frankly, going to have to have those where it's just way too easy right now to be polarized. Like, largely like the online community suggests we have to be like, I don't know how you feel, what your sense of this is, but I have one version of this that exists on the internet, but a a more human, a little bit softer and warmer and kinder version that exists in real life. Yeah. Um, do you see that? Like, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the internet is telling us one way to be that is, doesn't necessarily have real good bearing on what this could look like in our actual communities. With the internet, you have the anonymity of a screen. Yeah, It's very different for two humans uh, at, to interact the way that so many humans try and interact with people digitally. Yeah. It's It's absolutely bonkers. And it makes us believe that that's what the world is like, because so often that's the world that we're exposed to. I think, you know, one of the things that I would love for you to talk about, because I know that the book touches on this, and I think it sounds like such a wild question, except it's not, is that for many women, how do they even come to terms with the idea that they are allowed to have a voice and an opinion that is their own fully removed from the family they were raised inside of the partner that they are choosing to be with. Like, how do you even come, how did you come to that place where you understood that you are a grown ass woman? And that means that you are allowed to your own beliefs, even if other people don't like them. I know. And that is a real hard doozy of a step, isn't it? For a lot of people. And, (laughs) and again, this, this is not contained inside like a faith conversation. This is very deeply embedded in the experience of most women, you know, who we were told and we got the message super early, um, how much space we were allotted and how many opinions we could have and, um, what our bodies were supposed to look like, um, how we were supposed to relate to the boys and then later the men. And, you know, we, we got the memo. It's not a mystery. Um, and these sort of, um, 
gender norms and body norms and cultural norms are they are embedded in every system we're in our corporate systems our justice systems our faith systems like our they're everywhere so mm-hmm. you know these are these is not a message that is inher- that inherently belongs to a sub community. This is, I think we all know this. I think we know that there's a handful of women that I have encountered in my life who had the great fortune to absolutely grow up in full freedom, both in their family structure, in their neighborhood, um, in their faith structure, in their, but it's rare. (laughs) It's really rare to find a woman who gets to her adulthood and cannot understand, um, being forced into a smaller package. Um, Mm So the, the, the bad news is this, um, when you decide that that ownership is worth working for, when you decide that having authority in your own life means something, then it is largely your work. <laughs> I wish yeah. we could outsource this. Like, yeah. I wish we could fix everybody around us. You know, I wish we could um, blink our eyes and fix um, the pay disparity between not just men and women, but then women of color, you know, who just drop down on the, on the pay scale. I wish we could just fix all these systems that have operated forever on patriarchy, on white supremacy, on misogyny. Um, but to date, we've been a- unable to upend them all. And so <laughs> we are left with the daunting task of believing it for ourselves, right? It's in, this is an yeah. inside job. It is an inside job. Um, the good news is that if you decide to put your hand to that work um, and begin to believe it for yourself, you begin to believe that you are worthy of it and that you have um, much to offer this world and that you are good and that you can trust yourself. You know, women have been told that we cannot trust ourselves since we were in preschool, um, that our desires, our wants and needs were so suspect, right? We were, what was wrong? We were, the way we dressed caused, caused all the boys to like have bad thoughts. You know, it was always our fault and everything that we wanted, um, was, was really suspicious. But if you can, if you can start to believe, um, that what you want is good, and that what you want is true and that women are actually a, an incredible force for good in this earth. Um, it will take root. Like even the listener who's thinking, no, I'll never believe it. Um, I've been told too many times how unworthy I am. I've been shown it. I've experienced, I'm telling you it's possible for even you and it will take root. And then you do the work of building the world around you that is healthy and right and fair and equitable. And there will be some losses, but there will be some incredible gains, not the least of which is to your own good soul. And so the work begins at home, right inside our own minds and hearts. Um, But then beautifully, it transitions to our relationships and our families and our communities and our work. And this really is a rising tide that lifts all the boats in the harbor. And no matter what we've been told, like we were told a story that um, women who were 
had ownership of their own life, who had agency over their own life, are dangerous, right? We've been told that those women are going to be the end, the ruin of families, the demise of marriage, right? They are, they just hate everything and they want to burn everything down. But that's just a story that was created to keep us in our place. The truth is, when women live true, when they live sincerely, when they live in freedom, those are the greatest women on planet earth. They are the best leaders. They are the greatest friends. They are the most miraculous partners and mothers and creators and servants. Like those are the women that are actually bringing the world back to life. And so we don't have to buy that fake story, um, that this sort of work will mean we are, um, deprioritizing the people that we love, our families and relationships and our work. It's the opposite. We are inviting them to flourish right alongside of us. Jen Hatmaker, preach that. Preaching. I will, no, are you kidding? I'm my neck's gonna be sore because I've been nodding with you for an hour. It's so good and it's so needed. Um the book, which we haven't even said the name of, which shows oh, that we're gosh. both terrible podcasters. <laughs> Fierce, free, and full of fire. Yeah. It is available today. It will be available today when this airs on April 21st. And if you've ever read Jen's work before, then you know you are in for you're in for laughter, you're in for coaching, you're in for challenge, you're in for truth. It is the thing that we need to be reading. So grab it. You can grab it on digital. Did you do the audiobook? Did you I sure it? did. And we like oh, loaded so the audio with all kinds of bonus stuff. The audio is probably the greatest format. Love that. Um, so grab it, grab it today. And if Jen, if they want to hang out with you on social, will you tell them where they can find you? Well, there's really only one gin hat maker out there. So <laughs> I'm married to that like really incredibly unique name. And so you can find me gin hat maker basically everywhere. I love that. Carol, thank you so much for being here today and, and leading out on this. I, um, you know, as someone who was not the friends that we are today, but was someone who was watching as an acquaintance, you walk through that season, um, it's such an example. And for the rest of my life will be an example of what leadership looks like. Um, sometimes leadership looks like this fierce, brave, you know, warrior leading everyone into battle. And sometimes it looks like the warrior standing back up after they get knocked down. Um, and you took a lot, you took a lot of punches for people who didn't have the capacity to do it themselves. Um, and only people who are close during that time fully understand what it looked like to watch you go through that. And I just, for the rest of my life, I will honor and acknowledge what you did because I don't think that people can ever fully understand what that meant to your family and what was lost in work, in creation, in product, in people that you thought were friends. I just, I'm in awe of what you have done and what you continue to do. Rachel, thank you. What a nice thing to say. You and Dave mean the world to me. And it's so fun to get to create with you now in this moment together um, on this side of it all. It's just fantastic. And so um, I love you both and I'm proud of you. I'm so proud of what you're building and love to always be a part of your Rise community. So thanks for always bringing me into your awesome crew. Um, you know, fan for life here, friend for life. <laughs> 